0: So I've been speaking for a long time now about the armor of God. We've been going through that end of Ephesians, a section where Paul talks about the armor of God. So I'm not going to be talking about the armor of God today. But um, we were reflecting on the fact that, that one of the things Paul says uh, is that we fight and contend not against flesh and blood. And Christianity is, is a supernatural faith. It's not rational. that the the essence of Christianity is totally supernatural. It's unbelievable that the things we say we believe are unbelievable. And it's very easy when we grow up in a culture like this to actually have it watered down to the place where our faith is actually very believable and very rational and very institutional and very cultural, and there is nothing supernatural. Uh, We explain everything away. Maybe you could shut that door, please. And uh, I want us to think about that. Um, at at Sue Watson's funeral yesterday we were talking about the uh, passage in Isaiah where it talks about um, God is good and then well that might be Psalm 100 but when we talk about God is good and and that you rise on eagles wings you you will soar on eagles wings and as I was looking at that I was reflecting on the fact that eagles don't soar on their own ability, they flap their wings when they're no thermals and without the supernatural you're just a flapping eagle That sounds like a bumper sticker, isn't it? You flapping eagle. Um, But there's a a sense of it's all my own strength and all my own effort and all my own work, which is very appealing uh, for those of us who need affirmation through a performance or through um, some way of achieving applause. The problem is that if you don't find the thermals and you rely on your own flapping wings, uh, you will grow weary and you will grow tired. And you will not be able to sustain the journey God has for you. It will be very natural. And it will be very dead, probably. And so, when I was talking about Paul saying, we contend not against flesh and blood, he said, there's behind flesh and blood, there is a spiritual realm. And there's a a dark realm that energizes the human being into self-centeredness, into self-indulgence, into recognizing that I am at the center of the universe, that God actually, all he wants is for me to be happy. And all he wants for me is to have my circumstances and my rewards on earth now. And there's a whole cultural Christianity about God's blessing in that way. And behind the human being is this supernatural um, world that is both dark and that is, both, and, and is good. And Jesus came to open our eyes and give us a revelation of what that supernatural looks like What does heaven on earth look like? What does heaven on earth look like as it indwells a human being with his spirit, his supernatural spirit, his supernatural presence? What does a human being look like who soars? And unlike our time, where often that soaring is comfort and blessing, in the early church that soaring was into the Colosseum, into the mouths of lions, into crucifixion, into persecution, into courageous acts of defiance. And and what happened over history was that Christianity was so unbelievable and was so contended for that people had to begin to say, "What is it that we actually believe?" And that's really what I'm wanting to look at. Because I keep getting back to this armor and then interrupting myself. Um, You put on this armor, which you know what it is now: the truth, the belt of truth, which is the relationship with Jesus. You put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is the identity as one for me. You put on the boots of peace, which is learning to live in circumstances even when things aren't peaceful. You put on the helmet of salvation, which is learning to think differently about life, about ourselves, about God, about everything. And you pick up the shield of faith, which actually depends on all these other things to be effective. And then you draw on the sword of the Spirit. And we spoke about that. The words that we declare, the words that we speak have power. How the kingdom comes to earth is through words spoken. And we also thought about that Roman soldier with all his armor and all his weaponry. He's actually very much part of a a group that you cannot be a fully armoured soldier on your own, if you're a fully armored soldier, you 're easy to kill you'll be shot in the back, and so it's all on the premise of uh, you don't fight alone, you don't walk solo, you walk together again in our culture, something that very often we we, we push against, but we are i'm going to talk at the summit actually we, we we're doing a I'm doing a talk which is 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 on um, actually a book I bought for the leaders, but they don't know it yet. Called incomplete by design. We are we are designed to meet to need one another. It's in our DNA, and so that whole journey is together. That's why it's part of our, our logo. So this art, but the thing about a soldier or soldiers working together, what is it? I went into the South African Army in 1970. I was conscripted. In other words, I had to go. Otherwise, I'd go to jail. And the 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 purpose of the South African Army was to defend the apartheid system. Separate separate development, the black-white, you know, the whole thing. Keep Mandela in prison, all that. And the last thing I wanted to do was go into the army, but I was too scared to go to jail. I was 18 years old. Now, you wouldn't want me in your army with how I went in. Why? Because I didn't believe in why I was there, and I had no passion for serving that government. So I went through the motions. I got trained. I learned how to fire a rifle submachine guns. I got trained how to fight, but I had no desire to fight. And that leads me into what we're going to talk about this morning, which is you can have all the weapons in the world, you can have all the armor in the world, but if you don't have the passion, there's nothing there. And for Christianity, one of the things that God, I believe, is wanting to stir up among his people is passion. And a willingness to die, a willingness to fight, a willingness to contend, but it all is based upon what do you believe. What are you willing to stand for? In a culture that is so often driven by circumstance and feelings and emotions. So I hope this will encourage you. Turn to the person next to you and say, who are you? What's your name? It's like parrots, isn't it? Who are you? What's your name? Uh, Prove it. If you go to any border crossing now, if we we talk to anybody, how how do I know who you are? And you'll end up going to a birth certificate. You'll end up going to passports. You'll end up going to something to say, this is how I know. And the same is true with those who follow Jesus. We're called believers. But there's an essence, the, 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 the issue is, what do I believe and who, do I know who I am? Because if I don't know who I am, I won't stand for anything. And just as you go back to your birth certificate or you go back to your passport or you go back to your family history and say, this is where I come from, this is who I am, as a Christian, you want to have that as well. Because it's very easy on any given day to go, I don't feel particularly Christian today. I don't feel this or that. And you go, well, at those points, I need to speak to my miserable spirit some truth. So what do you believe? 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tackles this topic. So if you've got a Bible, it would be good to look at that. You see, the thing thing is that everything we believe is supernatural. And if we don't know what it is, we will not be eagles that can soar. We will just be flapping. And that means we'll be totally tied to our circumstances. We'll be totally tied to our feelings. And we'll be totally tied to whatever thoughts we might have at that moment. They will not sustain us. So Paul says, now brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. These guys were in a very violent agnostic culture, many gods, all kinds of things going on. It cost them to believe. They actually had to make... I was listening to a testimony of a Muslim girl who became a Christian. She said, you don't understand that for a Muslim to become a Christian means in the Muslim vocabulary you are condemned to hell forever. There's no coming back. Now, when you're culturally brought up like that, that's a huge step. And so there's an element of, uh, of understanding who we are. And so these core beliefs changed their lives. They were no longer the same. And I want to suggest to you that the more you press into the core beliefs of Jesus, the more your life will be changed. The more you just kind of pick and choose and cherry pick and argue out of nothing, the more irritating it will all be. The more irritating it will be to listen to someone like me, which is, uh, uh, you know, possible. But the more irritating... Lukewarm is hard to sustain with any joy. And God actually says, I've come that you might have fullness of joy. Because I want you to soar. I want you to learn how to rise above your circumstances, how to know strength in the midst of hardship. I want you to learn how to know joy in the midst of your life. So Paul says, verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. And I'm just going to actually go through this passage a little bit and just draw out some things. What I received I passed on to you. What is that about? I receive I pass on. You know what that is? That's a river. What you receive and you pass on grows in you. What you receive and hold in is usually untested and actually might be misinterpreted. It's one of the reasons, let me plug the house groups. We need forums where we can talk about what we believe, what we don't believe, what we don't like, why we're angry with God, why we don't like the Christians around us, the people, those hypocrites, all that stuff. We need places to be able to talk about it. Because in talking about it and wrestling with it, some things will get resolved. And we will actually begin to learn what is true and what is not true. There are lots of people who have really strange beliefs about God that come out of our backgrounds or all kinds of places. And so it's good for us to test what we believe and then pass it on and pass it around. So Paul, what I received I passed on to you of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So what we're going to look at here are the things that sustained Paul in his life, which ended in death, and he spent a large time... In, in, in a fair amount of time in prison, he was flogged at least four times. He went through a lot of hell in order for heaven to break forth. If you want a, a, somebody's life to look at and say, what is it like to follow Jesus? Well, it might not be. Heaven on earth might not look be so sweet. But there is a point where he goes, but there is no other way. So flog me. The most profound witness to Christianity is not the luxury Boats in the Mediterranean. It is how do you learn how to suffer? How do you learn how to walk when it's hard? How do you demonstrate the power of God? And I, you know, I'd sing Glenda's praise at this point. I mean, Glenda is desperately ill. She's really facing death in the next two months unless there's a miracle, and we're going to pray for miracle until until there's nothing to pray for. But her testimony, and you sit with her, and. I said in something I wrote about I don't know who, who got it, which was just, there's, there are not many people that you can visit in those circumstances where you come out of the room feeling ministered to. But Glenda's is a testimony to Jesus is very real for her in the midst of a very broken place. And Fred draws on that too. And we just continue to pray for them. But we're learning how to stand strong in the midst of things that are awful. We're learning how to contend for healing. Even when members of our body die, because there is no other way. It's interesting in Bethel Church, that has become so renowned for its supernatural healing and for the ministry that it resources all around the world, that they're at the center of their, their property is a chapel. And the chapel is in memory of the secretary to Bill, uh, to Bill Johnson, who died of cancer. And they were devastated. You cannot work in the supernatural, you cannot follow Jesus if you're not willing to be heartbroken on the human realm. It's courageous. It's difficult at times. But God is good and He is faithful. And we have to learn how to be bold and courageous in the midst of things that don't look fun. Because the world needs hope and the world needs joy. But it needs to see it in a place of authenticity. David Watson was a a huge evangelist, uh, an Anglican evangelist in England 25 years ago, 30 years ago. A wonderful guy. He came to Cape Town when I was there. He came to university when I was there and he just had an incredible gift. He started the Riding Lights Company which was a theater group that used to do these little mimes, amazing things, just uh, humorous to illustrate the gospel and he was diagnosed with liver cancer and he had a year to live and he used to give interviews. He wrote a book and he gave interviews about the process of dying and they reckon that the last year of his life was more effective in ministry than the whole of the rest of his ministry how he faced death and how he bore witness to Jesus in the midst of that. It's a tough one, but there's also power in it. And that's the Jesus meets us and gives us what we need for wherever we happen to be. But part of that is learning how to ride the thermals. And the thermals are the things that are outside of ourselves that empower us. The thermals are the things that we, we, you can't create a thermal. You have to enter into it. And the thermals that really bring life are the core beliefs that Paul is talking about here. This is what sustained him. Because if this is true, then everything else has changed. And so he says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What does that mean? It means, you see, Paul's culture and our whole culture is about forgiveness and unforgiveness. It's all about, am I acceptable to God? All the other world religions are trying to get acceptable to God. Through ritual, through discipline, through all kinds of uh, self-denial. It's about how can I make myself worthy to God as I understand him. God revealed himself as he understands him in Jesus, period. And in Jesus, he gave his son on a cross and he said, you are my children and I am responsible for evil. It's a big philosophical debate, but God is responsible for the existence of evil. And I am also responsible for rescuing my children from the consequences of evil. And I took that responsibility by sending my son so that he would pay the penalty for the price that evil has placed upon my children. We are all guilty. We've all gone astray. And we're all in need of salvation, reconciliation with the living God. We know that intuitively. And God has said, I saw you before you saw me and I laid down my life before you knew me. And my son died on a cross for you so that no matter what you've done, you are able to come into his presence by saying, thank you, Jesus. It's like he gave you a blank check. And whatever you can conjure up, That why, why you, like if we gave it out right now and said, why would God accept you or why wouldn't he? Write down all the reasons why he wouldn't accept you. And probably many of us, because we're so negative, have these massive lists. And, and, and you just bring the list up and it goes, paid, 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 paid. And you, nobody ends up with a list that says, oh, too big for jesus couldn't handle this one he says it's actually paid now you have to cash it in which means thank you thank you that you have taken everything that causes me to feel shame or guilt or whatever and so paul says according to the scriptures christ jesus died for our sin that's the breastplate of righteousness what does that mean i no longer have to earn my way to god i no longer have to go i'm not sure i no longer have to go i don't feel worthy you cannot feel worthy and still be sure. Because you're living with that contradiction in a sense of I'm still a work in progress. I'm very aware of my unworthiness. But God has made me worthy. He decided that I'm worth it even when I wasn't too sure about it. And so there's an element of Paul says the first thing I want you to take hold of is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Because in the Jewish culture that was enormous. They spent half their lives doing sacrifices to be acceptable before God traveling across the country to go up to the temple paying huge exorbitant prices because everybody was ripping them off around the church and suddenly somebody comes and says it's paid for it's revolutionary and paul says when jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and then he says that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures twice he says according to the scriptures he doesn't say it's my personal opinion I just feel like writing this this morning. That I, you know, he doesn't re, he doesn't place it within his emotional, psychological, or intellectual being. He says according to the scriptures, and the scriptures he's talking about are the Old Testament. And the scriptures he's talking about were closed. Now the canon of scripture, which is the books of the Old Testament called the canon, were closed 200 years before the birth of Jesus. They were written down from oral tradition, and they were it was closed. And the prophetic words that came out of, say, Isaiah about Jesus' crucifixion existed 700 years before Jesus was born. There's compelling evidence in the scriptures. Now, a lot of people will say, and I think it's true, that when you, when you witness the resurrection of Jesus and you go back into the Old Testament, suddenly you see things there that you didn't see before because you didn't realize God is this kind of mysterious, sometimes he hides things and sometimes he reveals them. And sometimes, I mean, I've spoken out of this book for 35 years. And I used to keep, I've told you this before, I think I used to keep this filing cabinet. And now this email, this, uh, you know, in documents and all the sermons I give. I never, ever, I don't know why I don't trash them. but I never, ever go back to them. Because once they're given, they're dead. In fact, sometimes when I look at them, they're dead before I've given them. And I go, oh, please, Lord. So I do believe in the resurrection. Um, you know, God, please help. But he says, according to the scriptures. That's one of the reasons why getting into house groups is important. I can't say this enough. How we need one another. We need to go into places where we can question, where we can actually say, what does this mean? So Paul talks about this. Uh, he died on the cross for your sin. Do you feel forgiven? Are you forgiven? Talk to one another. No, I'm not saying now. Are you forgiven? Don't go this humble stuff, yes or no. Are you forgiven? I I really wasn't asking you. I'm really playing at play acting. But that's cool that you do know. And you go, why? You don't deserve it. I mean, you know what you were thinking last night. You know what you did this morning. And you go, no, I'm forgiven. And I will continue to be forgiven. Because I have said yes to Jesus. And out of that place, I have a new life in him. And so as my new life in him is a work in progress, but the, the work that he has done for me is for eternity. And so I, I live from that place of acceptance. He died on the cross for my sins so that I didn't have to die. And he rose again. Now, that is totally irrational. It's totally irrational, this resurrection. that Jesus died, and on the third day, he rose again. God raised a dead man to life. Lynn, you won't mind me saying this if your mother walked in now. <laughs> it would be cool. Ima- imagine. We have a funeral for her, and she comes walking in here. Doesn't that make you spine tingle a little bit? She'd probably have a smart remark, too. Like, well, what did you think was going to happen? But that's what it was like. We're so used to the words that we forget the impact. And you go, but this is the basis of what we say we believe. People argue, for instance, about the crea- God created the world, and people will argue and argue and argue about God creating the world. If God is able to create the world, why do you have such a hassle with miracles? Why are we so offended by God can heal and lay hands on the sick? And churches split over this stuff. And we stump up and down, and it's pathetic. Because Since when were you so smart? We have a supernatural faith. And what we're learning is to give space for God's supernatural presence to lead us into places that naturally we don't go, because naturally we are scared. But if you want to soar like an eagle, as we talked about yesterday, you need to get kicked out of the nest. That's how eagles learn to fly. Because what do Christians say? I'm not comfortable. Eagles say I'm not comfortable and mum beats them out the nest. Well, it's not very loving for you to boot me out the nest. Honey, if you don't get booted out of the nest, you'll never fly and I'm not feeding you forever. So they jump out of the nest and apparently they do this and then they go, ooh, I remember that. I took Cheryl to a little, to a little place called Dale Brook in Cape Town and it's got a little uh, a, a pond, a, a, a pool that... a uh, you know, it's a fresh, It's an ocean swimming pool. The waves break over and keep it. And I remember at four years old, I must have been maybe four years old, going into the shallow end and there were quite big little waves in my little world. And I'd never swum before. And I remember doing doggy paddle and keeping my feet off the sand and floating and swimming. I can swim, I can swim. Well, that's like the baby eagle. It's like Christian growth. You've got to have a risk. You have to have, you have to push And sometimes we need to be pushed to actually get what God's actually got for us because we don't naturally want to go there. And I wrestled with tongues. I was terrified of it. I went, oh, my word, I don't want to go there. And then I, I sort of got through that, and I remember giving a sigh of relief and going, oh, well, I'll stop here for a while. And what God was really trying to do was say, I just want you to learn to trust me. There's so much more. There's so much more. Paul says, uh, he was buried, then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. And look where he's rooting this. He's saying, Jesus was crucified, he was buried for three days, and then he rose again. And it's not just my word. He appeared to Peter, who you know or you've heard of, and the twelve, who you know and have heard of, and five hundred people over six weeks, many of whom are alive. And you can go and ask them. Brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me, also as one abnormally born. That's because he appeared to to Saul on the road to Damascus uh, in his resurrection form, not in his human form, because Saul didn't know him during that time. According to the scriptures, you remember when Jesus walked the road to Emmaus, he was resurrected. And he appeared to these two disciples who were very discouraged and they were walking away from Jerusalem to Emmaus saying, uh, this didn't work. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Ever kind of gone, well, he didn't show up. That was sucks. Uh, and, and, and God gets that. That's also why we need one another. And they were walking to Emmaus dejected because they had placed all their eggs in this basket and the basket had dropped and there were no eggs left and there was just the end. And this stranger appears to them and he starts saying what are you talking about and they said are you the only one who doesn't understand what happened this jesus of nazareth and he died and he went and i think god's got a sense of humor with us, and he talks to them and then he opens up the scriptures that's the old testament and what does he do he shows them how to read it in a different way and he shows them how the messiah is spoken of and how he is the fulfillment of those prophetic words sometimes we think we've got this great handle in scripture Scripture that doesn't reveal Jesus and the life of Jesus and then the supernatural. Satan quoted scripture when he was tempting Jesus. God didn't send God the Father, God the Son, and God the scripture. That's Baptist theology. I'm just going to provoke you with that. But he didn't. He sent the Spirit. The Spirit was to be present for us in the same way that Jesus was present for the disciples. The issue for us is that when the disciples followed Jesus, they were scared out of their wits a lot of the time and Jesus answered back to them and he challenged them. And if we don't allow the Holy Spirit to be present with us today, we don't allow any place for emotional engagement and challenge and power and support and release. And so God's, Jesus said, It is good that I go away, that the Holy Spirit can come because I want all of you to have this experience of presence and power and passion. But they're rooted in Scripture. They're rooted in what I've done for you. So you can't go for your, for your, your baptism certificate, your, your, your birth certificate, but you can, as a Christian, go to these places that are, are sunk into history, which is the, the, the life of Jesus, the, the testimony of Jesus, the death of Jesus on the cross, and the resurrection, the supernatural resurrection, and then the outpouring of his spirit. But we could go on forever, and I'm not going to, because you wouldn't like that. You see, sometimes during your day or during your life, you need to be able to talk to yourself and say, this is why I believe. This is why. And what did Paul do? He says, he he gives these reasons, he gives these words, and then he says this. He says, he appeared to the disciples, he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. And and Paul at this point could have been actually very proud. And he said, he could have gone into a dissertation on how he was on the Damascus road and God appeared to him. But he didn't because he was modeling something at this point that's called humility. And he starts by saying, I'm the least of the apostles and do do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I actually, my testimony says Saul, Paul, is that I at my point of intellectual development and the peak of what I was about was one who had concluded that these Christians were wrong. And I concluded from my Bible study and I concluded from my heritage and my church background that they should be killed. And so I went about doing it because I was a rising star in the Jewish church. And I was a rising star. I had academic credentials and I had the, the money and the resources behind me and I was the favorite. I was the, the favorite amongst the leadership in Jerusalem to go and get things done. I was a man of action and I was a man of courage and I was a man who would get stuff done. And I didn't flinch when we dragged people out in the morning. In South Africa, they used to bring them out at 4. The secret police would always come at 4 o'clock in the morning. It's when the human cycle is its slowest ebb. People are most vulnerable. That's why in police states, they always raid in the early morning. It's also why people die in the early morning. And we went in and we, we hauled them out. And I'm responsible for the death of some of them. I can still see them in front of me. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. But what he does is he takes this. Jesus died on the cross and he was buried on the third day he rose again. And he says, and this is my testimony of how it makes a difference. Because I know personally that he died for my sin. And therefore, though I persecuted, I was forgiven. And though I was so arrogant and so disobedient, he actually poured out his grace on me and his resurrection life flowed into me. And that because of that, I am who I am, he says. For I am the least of the apostles, do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than all of them, not yet I, but the grace of God that was with me. And that is the power of the testimony. It's you take the things that cause you to believe and say, This is why I believe. And then you demonstrate that belief and how it's worked in my life and how it's working in my life. Take away the personal experience and you just have stuff. So listen to the words of a Hillsong song that uh, came out recently just called I Believe. And think about what you believe and think about what you don't believe. Think about what you struggle to believe. Think about if I could have a discussion about what I believe, this is what I would want to talk about right now. And I just want to encourage you Uh, to continue to stretch and push your beliefs and to have the humility of a Paul that says, I know what I'm capable of, but I'm hungry for something more. And then you just ask the next question and ask the next question and ask the next question. Get off your high horse about what you don't believe, what you're offended by, and just begin to say, God, I want everything you have. And then walk with other people, talk with other people, pass on what you have received. Receive what others pass on. Let's test it and see. And many of us get stuck because we stop questioning. Or we just question, but we never actually want the answer. We've all been through those things. If I get the answer, I know what it is. It's going to be killing my fun. It's going to be stopping this relationship. It's God is not good news. He's got a lot of time to wait. But He actually is good news. He says, I've got a much better life for you. So question me. Talk to me. Walk with me. Thank you. That's good, thank you. You know, we, before they play hockey games, they sing the national anthem. And there's a reason for those things. They unite people. The early Christian church formed what is called the Old Roman Creed in 341 AD. It was very, very soon after the scriptures were finished. And there's a reason for that. Was that's because they lived in a Greek world where they talked about how can God be three in one and they had three gods and they were trying to work out what does it mean to believe in Jesus. And so they came up with a creed which is the essence of of the Christian faith. And Paul is, is, is giving the essence, just talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus as the core. Because, and I'm finishing with this, with because if Jesus did reveal God in space and time, he is the only reference point in history ever by anyone who has claimed to be God. He's the only one who you can actually go to at a place and say, this is where he lived, this is where he died, But more important, you don't go to a grave. You go to a resurrection site. If Jesus rose from the dead, he is radically, radically different from anyone else that's ever lived. And if that is true and that God is the creator and God is the revealer of himself and he rose from the dead, then his words become incredibly significant. And when he says, I will not leave you as an orphan, behold, I'm with you at all times then the rest of our journey together as a church in house groups and everything is, what does this mean today? And how can I? Exp- what difference does it make? Believers are those who take the words that they say and they change their lives. Religious believers are people who quote things that don't impact their lives. Because if God is God and He is revealed in Jesus and God is good, then He forgives. So you don't have to have any guilt. If God is good and you don't have to have any guilt, what's it like to live out of a place of acceptance and freedom? What is it, what's it like to live out of a place of hope and joy based on the thermals of His resurrection, not on just my feelings? What's it like to be part of a community where together we're learning, just like those men on the Emmaus Road, that there are things I didn't understand but I will understand? What's it like to have company on the way? What's it like to have the humility like Saul and Paul that says, I'm willing to open my life to you. This is what I was. This is what I'm becoming. This is what I will be. I pass on to you what I've received, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I live in community. I give you my, my brokenness so that you can be encouraged. I give you my victory so that you can be encouraged. I, I need some of your victory. Together, we grow into the full meaning of what we say we believe. And how do I know I keep coming back to because of what God did in Jesus? And because we need one another to go like Paul said, I'm, I don't deserve to be here, but by grace, we need those testimonies with one another to encourage one another so that what is theory and what seems too good to be true or what seems to be beyond belief becomes believable. Does that make sense? Ask your questions. Humble yourself. What this brings up in the end is who's going to be God. And that we have to work out. Each of us, our lives will play out. I said yesterday with, as I closed, I said, you know, You start as a baby, helpless. And I've been sitting with a lot of people dying, and they're helpless too. And all the bravado is gone. And all the strutting around with your opinions is gone. Because the human being at the point of death is not a pretty sight. Because it's actually designed for the body to die and the spirit to live. And the spirit lives because Jesus lives in us. So feed your spirit, that you would soar like wings on eagles. Let's stand... And we're going to pray, and then we're going to actually share together. by We're going to say the Apostles' Creed. But, Father, we just thank you that uh, we don't have to believe something that has no substance. We thank you that we have the Scriptures. And if you find the, the Scriptures, the Bible, hard to read, because now we have the New Testament. They didn't have the New Testament, the story of Jesus. If you find the Bible hard to read or difficult, Father, I just pray for an anointing. I pray for an anointing on anyone who struggles to read the Bible, that they would become it would come to life in a new way. Uh, Father, I pray that there would be a hunger to find out. I pray that w- we would be hungry enough to give up some time to learn who you are and to learn why we believe what we believe, to learn the reasons to question together and to enjoy that journey. So, Father, I call up hunger in us for more. Wherever there's a satisfaction or I've arrived. I just pray that that would be smashed. And I just pray, Father, that there would be so much more that we would want to enter into. And I pray the hallmark of this church will be a a church that knows how to, to, to serve, knows how to share joy in the midst of suffering, knows how to declare the lordship of Jesus while we actually care for one another in the good times and the bad. Holy Spirit, just come among us. And whatever questions rise in us right now, we want to give them to you. There might be doubts. Thomas said, I doubt. And Jesus said, that's fine. You're allowed to question. You're allowed to wrestle. Jesus didn't walk by those men on the Emmaus Road because they were asking the wrong questions or they had the wrong attitude. He met them there. Mary and Martha, when they were furious with him about not being there for Lazarus, he met them and he wept with them. So, Father, will you just meet with us wherever we are? And I dare you to grapple with Jesus about wherever you are. I was at a point in my life where I said to him, I can't deny you, but I don't know how to get to you, and I don't really want to. But I want to want to. And here I am, believe it or not. I know what it's like to be nowhere. But God is good. And God is faithful. And God is kind. And God is not angry with you. He's not discouraged with you. He's not disappointed. He longs that you will come to Him. He longs that you could walk in deeper places. He longs that he could call you out of the boat and say, come and walk on the water with me. He longs that you'll take some risks and soar in places you never thought. He longs that you give, you, you give him permission to work in your life, to change your agendas and priorities. He longs that he can prove himself to you to be good and faithful so that you can read the scriptures and then put down the book and tell the people around you, this is who I am. It's his grace. Because he took this word and he applied it in my life And I have been changed, not by my own doing, but by his grace. And so, Father, thank you that you give us the scriptures. Thank you that you give us your spirit. Thank you that you give us one another. And we pray for confidence in our walk with you, that what you have begun, you will continue to work out. Forgive us where we have naturalized you and boxed you and made you into our own pet, God. We give you permission to be resurrected, amazing, unbelievable way beyond our understanding so Holy Spirit will you impact our lives and transform them give us new perspectives new sense of your power your purpose and your passion let's say together the uh, Apostles Creed we've changed one word which is because so many people get struggled with the Holy Catholic Church Catholic means universal but we seem to struggle with that so we're calling it the Holy Christian Church which is what the Lutherans have done and some others so Let's say this together if you believe it or want to believe it. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So, Father, will you, as the worship team are coming up, just place your hand on the person next to you and just pray for God to answer the next question for them. Seriously. Seriously, seriously. Jesus couldn't be here, so he wants to use you. And just receive. Whatever the next question is, Father, I pray your Holy Spirit will release a sense of hope, a sense of breakthrough, a sense of your goodness that will actually enable us to keep growing. In Jesus' name, amen.